from Forth. This is So What Do You Do? podcast. When someone tells you what they do for work, do you ever secretly think, okay, but what do you actually do? I'm Ellie, and you, my friend, are in the right place. We interview everyday professionals from all positions in all industries. So sit back, relax, and learn where you too can thrive in a nine to five. Hello, fourth fam. Thanks for tuning in. Before I introduce to you our next guest, I did want to just mention that this episode was actually recorded prior to recent current events, um, specifically regarding the Black Lives Matter movement. And Katie and I um, both felt that we needed to add a little bit of an intro and explanation and our thoughts around the matter. Um, She actually sent me over her thoughts, and I wanted to share them with you and also echo that fourth feels the same way. We believe that there is room to change, and we are ready and um, excited to be part of that change and to truly help the world be a better place by um, amplifying, amplifying black voices and amplifying the black community. So I did want to share some thoughts from Katie. So this is what she wanted to share with all of you. We are being forthright about racial injustice. It is real. It is all over the U.S. and the workplace, and we must be upfront about it. The recent Black Lives Matter demonstrations are an important movement for the workplace as we focus our attention here and learn how to not be silent and awaken real compassion and opportunity for learning in the workplace. It is extremely difficult for people of color to talk about this in the workplace. Katie mentioned that a black leader at her firm recently shared that it has been deemed a career killer. However, what a unique opportunity we have to raise up black Americans and celebrate our differences. She mentioned that she thinks one of her best friends, Jessica, whose family upon moving to Georgia, had to work with their real estate agent to navigate which neighborhoods would be black friendly. She also notes, when I think of incredible talent or incredible leaders that she knows, they all have faced hardship or adversity and have overcome it. How amazing would our workplace be or how much impact would our organizations have if we sought out all of these different perspectives and people of color who have had to overcome hardship every day due to everyday occurrences like she described with Jessica. They have incredible perspectives that would move the world forward if we looked outside of our own bubbles, especially in hiring. Banking is a great example of this. I just want to note that I share these similar sentiments with Katie, and I look forward to implementing our own changes here at Forth and continue to bring on diverse perspectives, diverse people, um, diverse backgrounds to not only this podcast, but to the other parts of our organization as well. So without any further ado, please welcome Katie to the podcast. 
Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a special guest, as you heard me fully explain on the intro, and I'm just beaming over here. We have Katie on the line. So Katie, without any further ado, please introduce yourself and tell us what do you do? Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Katie Hodges. Um, I work in the financial services industry at a bank. And what I do now is I lead something called transformation. Um, what that is, is, is really think of this as like strategy can be somewhat nebulous, but our industry is shifting a lot. It's actually really exciting. So that can encompass digital, it can encompass business and enterprise strategy, um, product, and a lot, a lot of data and analytics um, and modeling around that and, and kind of business optimization type of uh, initiative. So a little bit of amalgamation of everything, um, you know, that would roll up into strategy. Very cool. Okay. So banking, like you said, financial services at a bank, but you really work on the strategy, the transformation side. We're going to dive in deep into really what that means from a day-to-day, -day, a little bit more tactical level, what kind of skills you get to utilize, um, people you get to work with, things like that. But before we get there, I would love for you to share your story with my audience. Um, maybe share what you studied in school, where you went to school, um, maybe the first couple jobs out of college, and ultimately what led you to being at, your, at the bank that you're at now. Sure, so I think I'd sum up my um, journey as jungle gym. And because I jungle gymmed around to a lot of different things, and that's in part my nature, I love to learn. I hate to be bored. You know, I, I like to, to gobble up things very quickly and a lot of different things. Uh, but because I did that, I kind of squeezed a lot of years of experience, um, both when I was in college and then I was out of college, um, into a few really critical years. So I went to Georgia Tech. Go Jackets. What's a good Go word? Jackets. And um, that's right. <laughs> and while I was at Tech, you know, in full transparency, I went there because I got an athletic scholarship and I, Tech wasn't even on my radar until that happened. When I got there, I was like, oh, this is an engineering school and I don't think I want to be an engineer. And so I went down a business route, still not knowing what I really wanted to do about my junior year. Um, I was good with numbers. So I was taking a finance class and someone from Credit Suisse First Boston um, a young woman came in to kind of talk about what she did, and um, she worked a lot of hours, and she she worked really hard. She was compensated well, but she was doing a lot of really cool things for some big companies, and was gaining a really um, a really quality skill set. And I said, that's what I want to do. So I launched on a path to try and start to do that. Um, the challenge with investment banking is it's really critical to have a lot of times to have an internship um, for a few years particularly one in New York, um, while you're in college, if you want to go down that path. Um, I did not have this. What I did have was the ability to do something that was mergers and acquisitions like with, um, with corporate real estate. And I learned how to model and I stretched myself for the skills that I would need to become an investment banking analyst. And, and uh, the second thing I did was I had a, a kind of older um, uh, I'll call it like a mentor, but it was a friend also um, from Georgia Tech who was in investment banking in New York. And I went and visited her at her bank and it's like a top two bank. Um, I, and I was able to shadow her for a day on the trading floor. And that put together um, was based on the skill set that I had gained and the kind of real world knowledge I had gained about, you know, kind of what 
it really is like in a day of life. I was able to land um, uh, a job in investment banking right out of college in capital markets. So started there. Um, that was exactly like the young woman who visited Georgia Tech um, from Credit Suisse First Boston um, said it would be. It was a ton of hours. It was right when um, the, the credit crisis in 08-09 started. And I can't tell you how much I learned in just watching that transpire, um, you know, during that time. We were doing deals for companies that were, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, <clears throat> some smaller ones, and everything was shifting. The banking and financial services world was shifting, things that we never thought possible. And I've probably got 10 years of experience crammed into two. At the same time, um, I didn't necessarily want to stay in investment banking in particular. So I took some time to to kind of stretch a different part of my skill set and went back to something really close to my heart, which is collegiate athletics. So that landed me a head of program role for the Georgia Tech um, Spirit Program, which is cheerleading, dance, and mascot. And so I led an organization and grew an organization at a pretty young age. Um, of 80 um, coaches and, and student athletes um, into kind of national recognition territory. Mm -hmm. um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the, with the sports, um, it's highly competitive, it's scholarship oriented, um, particularly at Georgia Tech, and it was really where my heart was because it was my alma mater and my old program. And that's where I met Ellie. Um, so um, it was, that's right. So it was a lot of fun, um, nothing like being on the sidelines for a college football game or ACC basketball tournament, um, but I was lured back into um, banking very quickly, and a former mentor of mine um, who was moving up in the, in the bank that I was working in convinced me to try my hand at something called strategy. And that was challenging going from something very black and white and analytical um, to something that was a little bit more nebulous. And thinking outside the box and something called, you know, whiteboarding and, and really thinking about um, you kind of live in the future, like three to five years from now. That's kind of your reality. And, and what you do is you plan for that and execute initiatives against the objectives that you define based on that kind of future state and lead those um, and lead those initiatives, you know, really bank wide. I learned how to gather cross-functional teams, so people who were not reporting to me that I did not necessarily have authority over, had to motivate and engage, um, had to, um, you know, lead with public speaking, both that and uh, Georgia Tech, um, uh, you know, had to kind of stretch those muscles and learn those muscles to, to get information out and, and get those initiatives off the ground. And then I got to a point where I kind of said, you know what, I really miss deals and I really miss the client, but I don't necessarily want the same, um, you know, strenuous um, job, um, you know, that, that was investment banking and lots of travel and kind of national and international coverage. And, and so I landed um, back in something called commercial banking, where, um, I, you know, the client was in the center of the room. And I got to use my strategy muscles that I had developed with some of my credit knowledge and um, capital markets knowledge um, to deliver really thoughtful advice and capital to uh, middle market clients, which was a ton of fun. Um, after a few years of doing that, um, I still was kind of called upon um, to do some strategy things, um, you know, on the side. I still had... I did no, I no longer had the Georgia Tech side gig. I passed that along to someone who could do that full time. 
I did a technology startup, um, which is a ton of fun, completely different than banking for about a year um, in aerospace technology. Um, and then, uh, you know, I got called upon again for a new role because uh, my bank was undergoing a major, major M&A transaction. And it was going to take, um, you know, about a little less than a year for it to happen. But a lot of um, a lot of thought leadership and strategy had to go into that work. And because I had both the client-facing experience um, as a banker, and then also the strategy experience for the enterprise and knew the in industry so well, I was a critical component to take a head of strategy role at the new company and move from Atlanta to Charlotte. So um, that stretched both um, some leadership um, and, and influence muscles, as well as some personal muscles, because I had to move and, and move my family and, and two young kids and a dog um, up, to, up to Charlotte um, to, uh, to do it. So, um, so that's a little bit of, of the background and some of the skill sets gained along the way. It's completely jungle gemmed. I didn't plan any of it. I've always had, you know, kind of sites on where I might want to go, but I had always been kind of tapped and also open to what the opportunities would be. And that allowed me to kind of jungle gym around and have never been bored and, and, and continuous and in, in a continuous state of learning ever since. Yeah. And I thank you for that fantastic summary and explanation of not only how you got from A, B, C, D onto the next, but really what you learned in each. And um, I, I feel lucky that I know you as well as I do. And I, um, like you mentioned, I met you through Georgia Tech cheerleading, but um, I really have always been an admirer of your career and just what you've been able to accomplish. But one thing I want to kind of reiterate, but also maybe even just ask you, you know, your thoughts or, or your perspective on this. But one thing that um, I really have always admired about you in what you've done is I feel like every role you were put in, you gave a hundred percent. Like it was evident to us as a cheer team, as a spirit team, that you gave a hundred percent to us, and then you gave a hundred percent to your role um, in in your corporate, you know, financial services role. And really, part of the reason why you got, you know, nudged or picked up or recruited or however you want to say it out of Georgia Tech into that role um, with that with your financial firm now was because you really um, did a great job in the role that you were in at the time, and so that's something that I'm really passionate about with my clients and, and my audience and community is you have to give a hundred percent to what you're doing in order for the clear next step to come, right? For someone to either recruit you or offer you an opportunity or switch jobs or whatever that is. So can you speak to a little bit about that and maybe how you did that or what motivated you to give that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a really great question. And I think a you know, what you're getting at is like, what is the practical application mm -hmm. of that? Mm -hmm. And I think for each person, it, it varies, you know, I, um, and, and it's driven by what are you passionate about? And I'll tell you, you know, I think important for this audience, you'll be surprised where your passions emerge in your career. And, 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 you know, I think a lot of young people these days kind of fall into a, a place of like, a job that's sexy or a job that has some sort of major social impact implications that are very obvious. But the reality is um, there are some very, really important 
socially responsible and sexy positions that you may overlook because you're going for kind of the obvious, um, like the obvious answer with that. And, and you might overlook where your passions actually might emerge. And then for me, you know, my passion was never um, thinking, right? My passion was making a difference, like really, really making a difference. And that could be the person sitting across the table from me, or that could be for an entire organization, um, or that could be for, you know, somebody maybe I've never met for some reason. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when I learned that, that drove the passion for learning and growth and being willing also to make mistakes along the way and just making sure that I was falling forward, but that I was really kind of throwing it out there because other, otherwise nothing would ever be done if I didn't have the courage to do it. So um, that kind of looked like uh, a couple of, you know, a couple of different things. When I first started my career in investment banking, now that seems like a sexy job, right? Like, you know, work hard, play hard, you know, well compensated. You could be in, you know, the, the hot spots for that were Chicago, New York, or Atlanta, or Charlotte. And, um, and you were doing big deals. And I mean, the third day on the job, I was sitting with the C-suite of a, of Fortune 500 company. I had just left Georgia Tech and I had no idea what I was doing. So it kind of had that component to it. But really, my very first task with that job was to like print something out and bind it together with like these old school spiral bound, you know, binders and, and, you know, cover page and just make sure it was in the right order. And that was not at all what I necessarily anticipated and what I would call, and forgive me for the language, but this is kind of investment banking, it was a little bit of bitch work. Mm-hmm. And I think the moral of that story is I didn't expect either one of those things. Like the really cool thing with the C-suite of Fortune 500 company or, you know, the, the print job that I had to do. Mm-hmm. But that was part of my job. And I had to make the decision that whatever I was going to do in order to build trust and credibility in my brand and in order to be able to continue to learn, I was going to have to do that well no matter what that thing was, if it was printing or if it was, you know, picking up the phone because the CEO of that company is calling me on their deal, you know, directly this person right out of college, because that's now my new game skill set. I had to do it mm-hmm. and, um, and decided that I would do it. And that w- when I was in those four walls in the office, that's where my focus was going to be. Mm-hmm. But what has to come on the backside of that, particularly for something like investment banking or any kind of demanding job, you have to be able to balance that with being able to leave that at the office and you won't always be perfect, but you have to have the balance on the other side for your home life or personal life or personal interests or loved ones. Mm-hmm. You have to nurture both of those things in order to be able to do either well and you will be so much more engaged in your work life if you're if you're fostering the right things in your personal life. And for an investment banker, that's easy to fall behind in because we're talking 18, 20 hour days, seven days a week, Saturdays and Sundays too. So tremendous, tremendous skill set gained, an opportunity that I recommend for anybody for anything in business, not just banking in particular, um, but you have to be able to manage it the right way. What that looks like now though is, um, is the same passion for impact and learning and growth. That's never changed with me. But giving it 100% in my job now, I lead an organization of, call it 30 people that are charged with something highly ambiguous, 
um, and and very fluid, particularly in the environment that we are right now with um, with the with this new crisis going on. Mm -hmm. And also the industry is shifting pretty dramatically and the competitive landscape is, is changing to where, you know, our competitors or what our clients expect are based on what our client expectations are. And our client expectations are not just other banks. It's the Google and Amazon and, and, you know, Venmo's and, and that, that part of, you know, that, that the client holds in their hand every day on their phone. So, um, so what my hundred percent has to look like now is me doing the right things to lead my organization, motivate my under my organization and develop my leaders and my teammates, um, under those leaders into high performing and highly engaged, um, teammates because of all that we have, all that we have on our plates and how fluid it, it can, it, it is. Mm-hmm. The other, the other part of my giving a hundred percent um, that's, you know, kind of uns- unspoken, but a huge part of it is, um, is developing the right level of influence, mm-hmm. you know, for strategy to work. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's not always going to be perfect, but it's got to be kind of stress tested and, you know, buy-in created, particularly for things that are new. Mm-hmm. It's not just going to create buy-in just because it's cool or because it's right. But, um, but there's a lot of folks that you've got to tug on for some of these cross-functional efforts. And being able to be in a headspace to be able to have that influence on key executives, you know, of the company or other leaders, um, or be there for them, you know, within this journey is, is really critical. And then on a regular basis, um, you know, having the energy to do those those things on a regular basis, keep up with what's going on in the industry, and truly listen and analyze. And, um, and come up with the right level of recommendation through critical or logical thinking, but also a bit of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's giving it 100%. And I think the same, I would say the same theme from my early days as an analyst in investment banking are true now, that you have to nurture all sides of your life and your health and your mental health and your, and your personal health in order to be able to continue to be what your team and what your organization needs out of you. And it can very quickly you know, go the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, the only other thing I'd add that's maybe different now is the sheer level of planning and preparation that goes into all of that um, to truly be well-versed. I mean, that is all a big responsibility and to take, um, you know, to, to bring an organization, to move an organization forward into the future and into that kind of corner you're peeking around to try and, and give clients, you know, the best experience or pull ahead of a competitor or make a major M&A um, event really, really work. Um, the level of preparation is, is a huge responsibility. And I'm also taking care of an organization that reports to me as well, which is also a responsibility. Yeah. So, um, you, so hopefully I answered that the right way. You did. You absolutely did. And it, it actually is, you, you capped it perfectly because it really brings to kind of my next question or really my next um insight into your work. One thing that you said that stood out to me was talking about the people underneath you that you have to, that you feel a responsibility to develop and grow and, um, but also get buy-in, right. And get buy-in from people above you as well. And there's a lot of aspects to that, but something I would say, um, that I noticed from just hearing this side of your story is, you know, you may not even recognize this to be true, but having been someone who you really took a huge 
part in developing me and my life and kind of not just from an athletic standpoint, but career and business. And, you know, I think there were a number of times where you edited my resume, right. And really spoken to, you know, this is, it's not just you were an athlete, right? Yeah. You were an athlete, but how, you brought value. How did you bring value in really helping us, myself and my teammates included in that work through those things? Um, to me, I feel that that experience that you had with us, even at a, you know, college student level, athlete level, you probably are taking some of those skills and those experiences into your work now. I mean, maybe not tit for tat, but I'm sure like you, you feel that same sort of passion and care and, you know, vision for them and for your organization. So I guess my question would be is, do you feel, I think sometimes it's hard in the moment to say, I'm going to do this job because it's going to help me in the future in X, Y, and Z, right? Like it's really hard to tell yeah. the future in that way. But I guess in terms of these students taking roles that are going to help them build these skills that they can ultimately use, like it sounds like you have at this point in your career, like, were you thinking about that in the moment? Like, oh yeah, this skill of leading a team or leading an organization at a student level is going to help me in the future or did it just kind of happen for you oh yeah yeah I always was so um so I was always really well so I'd say both so um I was really intentional about I'll give you an example from Georgia Tech Mm -hmm. um when I was in college um and again cheerleading is highly competitive sport and um and it was really rigorous we were a top five team um when I was there we were uh when I when I was an athlete we were a top five team. We grew into a top five team, you know, Ellie, when you were there mm-hmm. and then again, and, um, and, but I'll tell you, I went into Georgia Tech as a freshman and I did not have a problem with public speaking. In fact, I loved it. I was like, I got a lot to say and I want to tell you what I have to say. And it was like having a conversation with hundreds of other people and it was natural for me. But the weird thing is, and, and there's no science behind this, so, so you know, I'm definitely not in the medical field, and, and those who are listening who maybe are may think this is crazy, but, you know, I got a couple of concussions when I was, you know, cheerleading, and, um, and I mean, I went, I went hard, man, like, you know, I was, I was gung-ho about it, and I had a job to do, and I was recruited for a job to do, and I did it, but that came with injuries, and that was a couple of concussions. And I noticed at one point later on in, uh, in my college tenure that all of a sudden I froze up and I, I mean, just physical palm sweating, I could feel my blood pressure changing, um, and that just shifted for me. So, um, when I got to, when I got back to tech, um, I said, okay, I have an opportunity to now work on that specifically. And so we created um, a big showcase and about, you know, a couple thousand people would come every year and Georgia Tech was the host. So I used the opportunity to open it up as a host, as a host should do, mm-hmm. but, the, but also use that as a public speaking opportunity and practice no matter how terrified it was, because I knew this is a skill set that I've somehow, that is somehow kind of gotten off track and I need to gain and maybe I could do it this way. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it really worked. And I have to use that, you know, now in my job every, every single day. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very intentional. That's an intentional example of something kind of shifting. Um, 
uh, an unintentional, you know, skill set gained um, was when I was in the strategy role and someone who is now my mentor, actually, um, and a member of the top um, executives at my bank um, uh, brought me a new opportunity, which was in sales and, and owning a sales portfolio and owning a book of revenue. And it, is, it was something that I thought that I never wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I decided that I was going to be open and I took a look at people's careers that maybe I admired and, and maybe I want to be in that person's seat one day or maybe not, but I backtracked their roles that they had had in the past and the skill sets that they gained. And guess what? Sales was one really critical piece of that. Mm. And, um, and so I went for it. And wasn't that was an example of that was something that was brought to me and I didn't know quite what was going to come out of it. I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad that I was open to it. And I had to logically think through it. But, you know, I had someone that saw something in me that I didn't and was frankly just really skeptical about. And I just decided to dive in and go for it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the first part of your question, um, you know, I, I think is also really critical that is kind of at the end of, of what I just said, that person became my mentor. Mm-hmm. And what I have been able to seek out and what has just helped me tremendously because I, I'm an external processor and I know that now about myself, um, has been to seek out, you know, folks that are levels and levels above me and, and designate them as, you know, mentors and safe zones to ask them questions and build on some of their learnings. And it's really accelerated, you know, my path and it's really them pouring into me. And look, I'll ask for very direct feedback and constructive coaching, and they'll give me their stories and they'll give it to me because it's an investment in me. Mm-hmm. And I make sure it's worth their time and I'm not, you know, you know, overbearing, you know, for them. Luckily, I work at a company whose culture very much fosters that. Mm-hmm. But I've also taken that and turned that around. And I, I'll tell you, I have at least one development related conversation with an individual a day. And sometimes that would be on a specific skill like deals or credit or capital markets. And sometimes that'll be on more behavioral or or social type things. Mm -hmm. And pouring into someone else gives me just as much, if not more, than a mentor sitting across the table pouring into me. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much through that. And it's put a mirror back in front of me to give myself, you know, the right, to give me the right awareness in my in my daily life and I can't I can't stress how important that is and how every single person can and needs to do that no matter what point they are in their career if you're a senior in college Mm -hmm. there are freshmen if you're a freshman in college there are high schoolers if you are a senior you know c-level executive at a bank there are still others that that mentor you and that should be that should be a cycle that that always continues and has really contributed to not only success that is probably ancillary and a byproduct of all of this mm-hmm. but really just truly liking what i do and truly being passionate and discovering how much i really like to pour into others and really like it from a business perspective and that's why I love doing, you know, resumes for the team and, and helping people out because a lot of times people don't even know how value, valuable they are. 
-hmm. and they're not drawing out the things that are really worthwhile. And it takes someone sitting across the table from them to say, Hey, you know, that's really good. Mm -hmm. You should write that down or you should say that, or you have good things to say. You should say it more, or maybe it's a, eh, maybe don't say it that way. And let's talk mm -hmm. about the way that you would say it. It's things like that, that are just, um, when you give back, you get more. And, and when you receive that type of coaching, it's the, you know, people say feedback is a gift and it sounds kind of cliche, but it is, it, I mean, it, it is truly a gift. Yeah, no, that's you. I, I really, cannot echo this enough. You were one of the first people, even beyond my mentors in my internships that I really sought out feedback from. And I knew, and part of that is because I knew you would tell me the truth. And, and I think you would even say that too, like whether, you know, you may like it and sometimes you may not and, and that's okay. But I think there's value in having someone in your corner that wants the best for you. And you know that to be true. Um, and, and for you, I mean, our relationship was obviously like athletics based, but it can be just anyone that you really, I always tell my students, like anyone that you admire um, professionally, personally, spiritually, physically, et cetera, because when you're getting feedback in such a way that's going to impact decisions that you make, you know, in your career that ultimately will affect your life, like you want to make sure that it's coming from a place where you know that they value the same things that you, that you do, you know, like with their family and, and their physical health, like you mentioned and mental health and all of that. So, um, I love that advice. And I think you're right. I don't think, I think people think, Oh, when I get in my first job, I'll seek out a mentor. It's like, no, there are people in your life today that you can ask for feedback for or ask to go to coffee with or lunch with and just say, you know, what's it like to be on the other side of me and what, how can I improve? What do I do well? But then what are things that I can do better? So um, I think you said that perfectly and right. I can echo it times 10 for sure. That's right. You know, ask for their experiences, um, be open and really honest and really vulnerable. Hmm. And, um, you know, and, and don't underestimate, you know, w what impact you might be having on, on them. Mm -hmm. If there's a gap in age, for instance, you offer fresh perspective. That's actually really valuable out in the marketplace, in the job market, you know, right now, mm -hmm. if it's close in age, but there's just a gap in maybe work experience, I would say potentially same thing. And you offer that person also what, what I'm saying, the chance to kind of have the, the mirror in front of themselves. And develop themselves at the same time. But I think one one mistake I see with with mentoring is um, is you know maybe it's a little stiff or it's um, you know not not getting quite as vulnerable, so you can't really dig in. Mm -hmm. And remember, you have to use that person's time wisely, so you should prepare. But it's not an interview; mm -hmm. it is a relationship, and you need to foster that relationship the right way and the respectful way, and um, and take it a, you know a step further than just you know, any other boss or colleague or anything like that. Oh, that's so good. I, yes, yes, yes. And yes, I'm going to quote that somewhere, Katie. So <laughs> that's great. Um, so we talked a little bit about your journey and your story and what you do today. And honestly, you've done such an amazing job of answering my questions that I, I love it. I love when I don't have to prompt with questions. So thank you. Um, but we're going to kind of just move into this final segment of the podcast that just covers, you know, how do I get there? So if there is a young person who 
loves your story um, and is really just soaking this up and thinks, you know, I, I'm, I relate to Katie in a lot of ways. I could totally see myself in the banking industry or, or working in a role that she's in now. What would be, in your opinion, like a direct path to that? You said your career was a little bit of a jungle gym, which I think many of ours are, but what would you say if someone was like, no, I know I want to be there. What could be a good next step for them today? You know, um, this applies um, really, um, really well to banking and financial services, but I think to a lot of different um, industries. Go get close to the end user of whatever you're, whatever you're doing. So, you know, for me, I am a consumer of banking. <laughs> Hopefully we all are. Um, but, you know, I got really, really close to the client and I put the client in the center of the room and really, really understood the client. So then from there, um, you can take that a number of different ways. Um, but, but I did it, you know, as, as an analyst and, um, and did kind of a, you know, a, an analyst program and a lot of different companies have this, but, but I lived and breathed, you know, the client world and I got really muddy you know, alongside the client, alongside the other originators and deal makers, you know, as part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, I've always carried that with me as an understanding of like, hey, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing what's best for the client and we're moving the world forward because our clients are moving forward and not just their banking life, but it, every, everywhere in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that's been really critical and I think that applies a lot of different places. Um, and then I think the other thing is um, that that's helped me is to be open um, to opportunities and be open to people. And I, you know, I haven't always gotten this right, but you'd be surprised what you can learn, um, you know, coming at you from all angles. If you just stop and really listen and really dig in with that person, no matter who they are, you know, your, your peer, someone below you, someone above you, um, there, there's a lot of different perspectives out there that are just so valuable um, to help you in your career, whether it's say learn from someone's mistake or learn from someone's success or learn from someone's different and weird path, you know, from yours. And then um, for me, it's led to different opportunities. And I might have thought that there's been with this last opportunity, for instance, um, uh, you know, leading strategy and leading transformation. Um, you know, I thought that I was going a different way. I thought, you know, I was brought a completely different opportunity. And then this big, you know, merger transaction happened and things shifted and I was offering some, I was offered something bigger. And I didn't really think that I wanted to get away from deals again and clients again, but it turned out there was a very definitive need for someone who had a real perspective of the client and the teammate and the banker and could put that in the center of the room. And, and that was interesting to me. And the learning opportunity to be able to be part of the building blocks of our company and of something that is gonna change the world um, and really impact, um, not just change banking, but be able to change communities. And, and that's exactly what the company has done right now. I mean, with at, at a very definitive time of need. Mm -hmm. um, for, for our small businesses and for our, for our individuals and our communities. So just being able to just react in a way in the moment that said I was open to something, it, you know, and, and be able to kind of be in a mindset to accept 
something different, I think it's something people underestimate. And your initial reaction to, to a person, to an opportunity, um, is really critical sometimes as, as part of who you are and future opportunities you get. Not everyone is going to be right, but, um, but being open to it and don't be confined by money or compensation every single time. That's a really important, and it's a really important statistic in your career. But I also see a lot of young people give something up because they get a minuscule amount more somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, that attracts them away from maybe a phenomenal opportunity. So there are multiple factors to think through to be open mm -hmm. about. Um, and part of that, I think, is knowing, knowing yourself and, and knowing, you know, what you crave and what you're out there, how you're out there to grow, if that's part of your MO. Because mm -hmm. it's not, that's not always everybody's thing also. And that's totally fine. Uh, and then I think the other thing is um, an applicable to, um, you know, this audience is, you can pick up some really critical early stage, uh, early stage skill sets or skill sets that are critical for early stages in your career um, in a lot of different ways right now. Mm -hmm. I tell people who are interested in investment banking that I've had a really weird path like I have. There's a lot of different ways to learn how to model. There's a lot of different videos. There's a lot of different courses to take. Put your mouse away. Don't use it. Use your keyboard. Learn Excel backwards and forwards, master it, and all of a sudden you increase your value. And that's for like an entry-level analyst. Mm -hmm. um, that is increasingly more and more the case um, across industries. It could be social media. It could be a you know, coding program. And you don't necessarily have to have that training in your major or in an, inter in an internship to continue to be valuable. And the other trend I'm seeing in corporate America is, you know, the, the young people who do take a little bit of a different path have an interesting story, but demonstrate that proficiency in street smarts as well as book smarts. Mm -hmm. um, they're really highly valued and they go in and they have very interesting careers and early on their perspective creates a, a very distinct impact. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. And that's in looking back, that's kind of what I did in taking the corporate real estate internship to give me that modeling skill set that I then, I then turned around and had to sell in interviews because I looked mm -hmm. atypical to be prepared to do that. Um, <laughs> but because of that, you know, I kind of stood out, you know, and I was wow. interesting and I, and I could perform and, um, and, and that was really important. So I think those are kind of three, those are three, um, you know, two behavioral, one uh, maybe technical that I would offer up out there. Yeah, this is okay. Such good insight. And people, you better be scribbling this all down. I know I'm going to go back <laughs> and take notes when I re-listen to this episode, but th those are fantastic pieces of advice, Katie. And um, I love the part about learning something technical to set yourself apart and um, be able to speak to the value um, that you bring because of those maybe unique or different um, opportunities and experiences that you've had. So that's perfect. Thank you so much. And before I let you go, we are doing something new on the podcast. We're doing a fourth favorite rapid fire question edition. So I'm going to ask you these questions and we'd just love your answer within like five seconds or less. So are you ready? Okay. Yeah, I okay. think so. Okay. Right away. Okay. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? astronaut or sportscaster. Okay, awesome. What is your favorite book? 
Oh, um, really good question. Whatever fiction book I'm reading at the moment, um, and preferably a series like The Last Kingdom or um, oh, what's the series I just read that I, I always do this that I just love. Um, it's the Ken Follett, like all the Ken Follett books um, okay. are so good. They're like his historical fiction type books would be my final answer. Sorry, that wasn't five seconds. No, that's perfect. Okay, historical fiction. That's great. Not many people say fiction books, so I, I can appreciate that. That's awesome. Okay, who is your favorite speaker of all time? Mm, I'm going to go with Obama because he spoke at Georgia Tech. Yeah. Yeah, go jackets to that for sure. Um, okay, next question. <laughs> Your favorite office accessory that you cannot live without? Oh, my, um, this is super nerdy, but it is my training the street books from learning um, modeling way back in the day. Occasionally I'll lend them out or, or bust them open. Um, and I, I absolutely have to have them. That's awesome. That's a great answer. Um, okay. And then lastly, and just for fun during this time, what has been your favorite activity during quarantine? Um, ooh, good question. Um, going to the beach on the weekend. Sweet. Okay. I was going to say no. Not, not really a quarantine activity. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the beauty of living near the beach. It should, that, that's just a perk of it. That's awesome. Well, Thank you, Katie. I will um, have to look up that book series because I've never heard of those books and I'm trying to be a better reader. So um, hopefully everyone else is taking notes and, um, and learned as much as I did in this interview. But I just so appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship, your mentorship to me. And um, thank you for sharing on the So What Do You Do podcast. Yeah, thanks for thanks for putting it together. I really wish that I had had something like this, Ellie, um, early on in my career and in my college career. So I appreciate how you're giving back um, to the world as well, because it's it's hugely hugely critical in building confidence in in our generations to come. So thank you. Thanks for listening. If you loved this episode and are inspired by this nine to fiver, let us know. Subscribe and leave us a five star review. Screenshot this episode and tag us on social at fourth underscore LLC. We would love to hear what professionals and industries you want to hear from next. Want more career guidance, discovery, and inspiration? Be sure to visit our website, goforthllc.com, and browse our career downloads, read our blogs, and get inspired to go forth.